137 WCCO, Adam Carter in for Chad. It is Wednesday afternoon. That means it's time for Playing Politics, our collaboration uh, with the Star Tribune. And uh, with us from the Star Tribune editorial board, Patricia Lopez and uh, John Rash. Thank you both for being here today on a lovely day to spend some time inside with us. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Uh, plenty to talk about uh, both locally and uh, nationally. I think we should probably start with a hurricane. Just some jaw-dropping photos from, uh, from the Bahamas. Yes. And this huge uh, Category 5 storm that basically stalled out and basically destroyed two islands on the Bahamas. I think it, it's fascinating to watch any time a, sh- a storm of this significance kind of takes the uh, the public's, captures the public's attention for so long, especially in these parts. We're a, a, a weather-obsessed people up here. Talk about how you approach that uh, from the newspaper standpoint and capture kind of that attention. Well, certainly it's a humanitarian story more than anything, and I think that so many people feel so strongly about the need for getting aid down there. It's going to be much more difficult than even Puerto Rico, and we know how uh, quite controversial that response from the administration was. But, of course, this is not a U.S. territory mm-hmm. in the same way that Puerto Rico was. So that's part of the story. And then from a longer-term perspective, one wonders, not just in terms of people observing the news, but many meteorologists and those who follow the climate crisis, if this is the new norm in terms of how some hurricanes are going to behave because of the changing climate. And if so, there's universal acclamation that no nation is ready for something like this. I think that's the part we're a little more focused on um, in editorial is the the link to climate. And uh, I just got done at a climate science uh, boot camp of sorts, uh, where they had a lot of climate experts talk to us about, and this this phenomenon is not really a phenomenon anymore. It's going to become, you know, more common because the warming oceans give rise to the type of hurricanes that now can stall out, as we see, for days yeah. in one spot. You can't, and that's you can't not, deny it anymore. No, right? no, you really can't. It is it is incontrovertible. We're past the point of discussion. You know, the, the discussion that needs to happen now is what do we do to mitigate it? What do we do to mitigate it? And, and sadly, as you mentioned, John, you alluded to, uh, everything becomes politicized nowadays, including reactions and responses to hurricanes. Will we see that difference to, uh, different uh, to this one as opposed to uh, the one in Puerto Rico, Maria in Puerto Rico, because it was part of the U.S. territories? It won't be different regarding the climate change debate because the sides are so distinctly drawn on that. It will be different in that, again, because the US, because it's not like Puerto Rico, a U.S. territory, um, where the United States is responsible for its citizenry there. There won't be as much of a political nature to the response, but one also hopes that that doesn't keep the United States government and nations throughout the region, indeed the world, from responding to the dire hour that so many people in that nation are feeling or facing right now. I think this one might be better, actually. Um, The way the U.S. government responded to Puerto Rico was shameful and uh, had such a tremendous blowback that I'm I'm hoping – uh, and there is, seems to be some evidence that the Trump administration has learned some lessons from that. They seem to have been more proactive in this one. Certainly Trump has not had the same political tenor um, to his response. Apparently um, Senator Marco Rubio is going to ask for some kind of immigration dispensation for um, people in the Bahamas that have close relatives in the U.S. that would allow them uh, to evacuate here temporarily. Uh, I think all of those are good things. My concern is that this not get treated as a one-off, 
uh, governments everywhere are going to have to be prepared for more uh, extensive and more expensive climate events like this um, that are going to happen frequently. And as we're working to mitigate changes, we're also going to have to prepare for, uh, you know, devastation like this that is almost complete. I mean, I, I my understanding is their airport was completely yeah. caved in. Well, you saw the photos. I mean, it mm-hmm. looked like just the ocean was over it. Patricia, I'm, uh, interestingly, to follow up to that, uh, in what you've learned at the conference you were at, are, are governments, the U.S. and other governments, Having a battle with, okay, this is the reality and we have to have our responses meet these challenges. Is there conflict there as to the the voices who are still against climate change preventing that from happening? The the U.S. is the voice against it at the moment, unfortunately. Other governments have, um, you know, they at least acknowledge that it's going on. And um, what we were told was that the time to sort of head off the worst of this was actually back in the 80s. Um, and now what we can do is try to mitigate it as best we can. And there are governments that are coming together. It's very hard. I mean, it's going to require sacrifice on people's part, unpleasant things, changes to the way we do business. Um, but it, it genuinely is a crisis, and there's really no other way to look at it. The hurricane coverage kind of uh, eclipsing other uh, big stories, including uh, more gun violence. We had another mass shooting, uh, this one in Texas, in Odessa, and I believe it was the day before that new gun laws went into effect. Uh, in Texas, actually, the, the loosening, gun loosening, laws, right. loosening of gun laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like uh, this is a person who should not have had weapons, who apparently failed some background checks. Does this hurt the effort to expand those checks, John, in that uh, the pro-gun uh, NRA groups can say, look, you're not enforcing the laws we already have in place? Well, one would think it would be Exhibit A in terms of why better background checks are needed because he was turned down to buy it through a store. Reportedly, the person purchased it through a uh, gun a show sale. and didn't yeah. and wasn't didn't have to face at that point the you know background checks that one normally would if they went to Walmart or some other kind of store like that. Which that corporation, of course, has been in the news here in terms of how they're responding to all of this. So I think that more than anything, this might galvanize a congressional response. That was going to be my next question. The mention of Walmart, uh, Walmart uh, dramatically uh, dropping ammunition sales, making mm-hmm. some drastic changes. Are we seeing the tide shift here? Are we going to see uh, Congress actually taking some action? I think you're certainly seeing the tide shift among corporations. And, and isn't it interesting that it's business, actually, that is leading the way and providing the leadership that should be coming from our elected officials? Um You know, I can't say with any certainty that anything's going to change in Congress. They seem perfectly willing. uh, You know, Mitch McConnell and the president are saying, well, you go first. No, you go first, which is ridiculous. Um, You know, there is such strong and consistent and growing public support for things like universal background checks. And by universal, I mean that would apply to private sales as, as well, which at least might have had a chance of stopping the Odessa gunman from getting his weapon. Um, you know, there's some there are estimates that range all over the place as to how many um, sales occur, you know, through private transactions online or at gun shows uh, that has to be addressed. And, and I think a lot of responsible uh, gun owners are fine with it. And we really need to start questioning. It's a small inconvenience. Why would you make that the reason not to do this? when people's lives are at stake. I I find it hard to understand that. I do think there's growing support for what they call red flag laws, which uh, allow a process, you know, in which uh, a judge makes the determination whether a person is a danger to himself or others. 
and allows weapons to be temporarily um, taken and then, you know, restored at some later point if they can prove that um, their mental stability is improved. Those are such common sense uh, actions. I I hope that people will continue to push their leaders uh, to take positions on this. Constitutionally, Congress is a co-equal branch of government, so it's been quite striking to see the Senate Majority Leader completely defer to the President of the United States in terms of what he will support and the direction that the administration wants to go in terms of what will or most likely won't happen regarding Congress. And I think that regardless of where anyone stands on the actual issue of background checks and other what's often called common-sense gun legislation, there should be no one who supports Senator McConnell in effect saying, we're going to completely defer to the executive branch because that's not the way that our it's government is supposed works. to work. Uh, locally, uh, Governor Walls using the opportunity of that tragic shooting outside of the state fair Monday night, mm-hmm. uh, saying, look, this we got to get a control on this. Uh, the red flag laws come up locally. Nothing's been done. Will we see change uh, in, in St. Paul? Even before the uh, – while the state fair was still going on, uh, the governor was talking about the need for gun reform and uh, – and the fact that he has not been able to get it through a Republican Senate. And uh, the Senate, you know, I, I interviewed Senator, uh, Senate Majority Leader Gazelka at the fair, and he still is opposed to most of those, although he at least gave an indication that, you know, he may be open to a hearing on a red flag law. I, I think, you know, what we have is a, just a miniature of what's going on in Washington. And um, there has to be pressure from the public to break that gridlock. There are overwhelming numbers when public opinion polls are taken who are for expanded background checks. The numbers, depending on the poll that you look at, are in the high 80s, well into the 90s mm-hmm. in terms of that. Walmart reads those polls. They understand their consumers, and eventually politicians will understand yeah. that these consumers are voters, and they're going to have to react. Numbers that I can tell you from having looked at many, many, many polls over the years, it's very hard to get 80 to 90 percent of people to agree on yeah. anything. So the fact that they agree on this is very striking, and politicians should be paying attention. Uh, would you mentioned the state fair uh, just completed. Always a hotbed of politics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have politicians uh, constantly making the rounds, even mm-hmm. now in not, not an election year. They're still out there. We also had stories about uh, vandalism, uh, an alleged assault happening at the GOP booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about, from what you know, uh, both Patricia and John, your experiences at the state fair is that rhetoric, is it ramping up? Do we see it happening at the state fair where, you know, there's supposed to be the nice get-together where we can all talk, talk politics comfortably and agree to disagree? It seems that that maybe isn't happening anymore. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, in my capacity doing political reporting and editing and now um, political writing for the Star Tribune over the last two decades, I've spent time at every single state fair. And um, I think, you know, every now and then, I mean, they let in everybody, you know, there's no, more, there are more no mental health year. checks yeah. when to get into the state fair. People come in with grudges and with, you know, uh, bones to pick. And some of that is fine. I can say that, you know, we conducted nine interviews at the Star Tribune stage with everybody from the governor to the attorney general to, you know, members of Congress and all of our audiences. And they're just open. You can walk up to our stage. You can get almost within touching distance of us. They were all uniformly respectful, civil, um, you know, engaged, but not in any way disrespectful. I I think what happened at the GOP booth was unfortunate. I understand there are a couple of little incidents at the DFL booth as well. And um, that is an indication of how polarized and um, 
You know, this has become politics as lifestyle and contact sport, which gets people heated up in a way that I I don't think they were back when our biggest worry was apathy. You know, from a different perspective, I found it quite striking that Senator Sanders chose to leave Iowa, which, of course, has their quite successful state fair as well, come up here and attend the Minnesota State Fair, which I think speaks to the increasing importance of Minnesota as both a uh, Super Tuesday state that's going to help decide the Democratic nomination, also increasingly a swing state, and the broader media presence that's here in the Twin Cities with the hope that whatever any candidate who comes up here, even from the you know hustling on, on the hustings down there in Iowa, hopes that that message gets across a little bit more nationally from that perspective. Well, and he wasn't the only presidential candidate at the fair. You know, they, we had a number of them trooping through. I happened to be there um, when Sanders spoke. He uh, spoke at the NPR booth, and then he was on the, um, you know, on another TV um, stage. And, you know, hundreds of people were there, and then he walked, uh, you know, across the state fair. And there were there were no incidents at all. So I think that speaks to the fact that most people come to the fair still for a good time. That's, uh, let's hope it stays that way. Uh, just a couple minutes left. Uh, Michelle Fishbach entering the race in uh, Minnesota's yes. 7th Congressional District. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Peterson survived uh, the Trump revolution in 2016. He uh, did, but his um, his percentages, his winning percentages have slipped in the last uh-huh. three election cycles. So uh, he has cause to take this one seriously. She has He faced off against David Hughes the last two times. And I think won his last one by about four, four point five percentage points. Um, now I think Dave Hughes is staying in, and he'll be battling against Michelle Fishbach. Fishbach's challenge is she's going to be taking, you know, um, the Trump record in because her complaint about Peterson is that he's voted against Trump. Uh, Trump's policies so far have not been very kind to the soybean farmers out in that district. So she's going to have her own challenges cut out. It's it's going to be a tough race. Last time in 2016, we had a presidential election. President Trump won that district by 31 percentage points, and Representative Peterson was able to withstand that. Mm -hmm. Even if Minnesota is, again, quite a competitive state, it seems unlikely that the margin will be that significant, given all the challenges in the agricultural sector that Patricia just described. So there is a deep reservoir of support for Representative Peterson, should he choose to run again. He at least is the candidate to beat, even though, as mentioned, his margins continue to narrow. He's also chairman of the ag of yep. the ag committee. That's a big deal for farmers out there, and uh, it's probably not something they're going to give up lightly. So um, this will this will be a real test of strength in that district. Uh, since you're both from the Star Tribune, one last brief question: Will the Star Tribune bring back the Homer Hanky as the Twins uh, pulse towards <laughs> a, a playoff berth again? That was before you, my time. I defer to my colleague, you, John Rash. Do you have that kind of power, John, to bring back the Homer Hank? I just hope the Twins have the kind of power that they've shown at the plate and that it goes into the playoffs and they can bring back what happened when the Homer Hanky debuted, right. which, of course, was a World Series victory and the way that they've been playing over the last fortnight to three weeks. One wonders if uh, they are peaking at the right time. So let's hope, and, and uh, certainly the Star Tribune is going to be there. John Rash, Patricia Lopez from the Star Tribune editorial board. Thank you both again for being here today. Thank you. It is uh, Playing Politics, our collaboration between uh, the Star Tribune and uh, WCCO Radio.